We're going to jump right in. We've been in uh, a series called By My Spirit. Uh, we are uh, really, our goal in this was Paul ta- talks about um, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Our hope in this was uh, really to bring some clarity and understanding to uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts, uh, how they apply to our lives today, all of that. And uh, and the, the main thing is, is we really don't want people to be ignorant towards this in Scripture. And, and so we in our attempt to um, walk you kind of through the scriptures on the Holy Spirit, um, our hope is that you have enough information uh, to be able to either ask questions, ask more questions, or uh, to take a step into the baptism of the Holy Spirit and experiencing the gifts. Now, I'm going to admit to you today, uh, this is uh, an uncomfortable topic uh, it's probably as uncomfortable for you as it is for me to speak on it uh, because there's just a lot of um, confusion around the gifts, uh, this gift in particular in speaking in tongues. And, uh, and so rather than just avoid it like I've done for 15 years uh, on a Sunday morning, uh, I, I, I have, we have taught it in classes and stuff and taught about the gifts in classes, but um, I don't think I've ever preached on the gift of speaking in tongues uh, in the 15 years that I've been here, uh, and certainly not in the seven years prior uh, when I was an assisting pastor. And so uh, I've never preached on this. Uh, and yet it's uh, vital, in my opinion, it's vital to uh, fulfilling uh, or, or the equipping of people and Christians into doing their life on mission. I think it's an important gift that's available to all of us uh, in that. Um, it's a big topic, so to cover this in 35 minutes or so uh, is going to be challenging. As you have questions along the way, you can text them to the number there on the screen, I will get them. I, first service, my phone was blowing up, and I was so excited to get to the questions, and then I just realized it was my front door ring app. Um, so that was disappointing. Um, and then I kind of guilted everybody, and then they all started texting in first service. So if you have questions, text them in. Uh, and then at the end, we're, I'm going to try to leave enough time and space for us. Uh, Pastor Jay and I are going to answer questions. We're going to answer some questions that came throughout the series. Uh, but certainly if you have questions that come up today, uh, I'm, uh, we, we will do our best to answer those. So I want to jump in and I, I want to give you a, a perspective. Oh, one more thing. Um, this is a, a book on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's called Position for the Gifts. Positioned for the Gifts by Jerry Stott uh, and Bob Hunt, Robert Hunt. And uh, you can get this on Amazon if it's interesting to you, um, if what I'm talking about is of interest to you as you've been going through the Holy Spirit series. I highly recommend this. Uh, Some of what I'll be sharing with you today is from this. And so, um, but most of what I'll be sharing uh, with you today is from the Bible. Uh, So this is not the Bible. Uh, but it is a great uh, understanding and interpretation of the scriptures 
in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jerry Stott's a missionary uh, for Foursquare. He uh, is the regional missionary for all of the South Pacific region of the world. Uh, he lives in Australia, but uh, also has a house here in San Antonio. Uh, and whenever they're in town, have the opportunity to come and visit with us. So some of you may even know who that is. But All right. Um, well, I want us to jump all the way back to uh, an Old Testament book called Zephaniah. I want us to take a look at Zephaniah 3, 9. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can flip there if you would like. Uh, if you don't, it'll be up on the screen for you as it is every week. Um, here we go. For then, for then, meaning when the Messiah comes, when Jesus comes, for then... I will restore to the peoples, the nations, right? So I will restore to the people, all of the nations, a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. And I want you to remember that phrase, that, that phrase one accord, the unity behind that. And then I want you to take a look at the, the statement, a pure language, I think it's interesting that in every known language in the world today, there are impurities, <laughs> there are curse words, there are dirty words, there are words that are anything but pure. And what we read in this verse, for then when the Messiah comes, I will restore to the nations, a pure language, a language that is not filled with immoral words. Uh, the, the word that's used there is, I will restore, which implies then that there once was a pure language. There was a pure language, there wasn't a pure language, there will be a pure language again. Now, when was there a pure language? I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 11 into a uh, story called the Tower of Babel. Babel meaning confusion. The, the translation of Babel is confusion. Um, Babylon is the city of confusion. Um, what language did they speak prior to the Tower of Babel? So if you know the story, you know uh, that they were trying to build a tower into heaven. I'm just going to read you the scripture real quick. The whole, the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another... Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make for ourselves uh, a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And this is what the Lord said. And before we get to what the Lord said, I'm just trying to imagine this conversation. I have to imagine this was a bunch of men. And I don't mean to be uh, chauvinistic in this statement, but only men are going to stand around saying, I think we should build a tower to heaven. 
Right now, the women would come along and tell us how to build that tower to heaven, but only men would come up with that crazy of an idea, you know? And so I don't know how the conversation was. Like one guy's like, I bet we could, I mean, we're building stuff. Let's build a tower to heaven. I bet we could do it. And then one guy's like, no, nah, I don't think we can do it. And the other guy's like, here, hold my beer. We can do it. Like, <laughs> we're going to get this thing. They decide that they're going to build a tower all the way to heaven. Not a stairway, a tower. <laughs> this is what the Lord said, and this is really interesting because this is not the response that I expected from the Lord. He says, indeed, the people are one. They're, they're unified, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. They have one language, they're unified, and nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. In other words, they could probably do it. If they have this language and they're in unity, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. So I want you to think about this story and look at the parallels that take place on Pentecost Sunday uh, in this same context. Because in Acts chapter 2, if you remember the, the story of Pentecost, there's a mighty rushing sound of wind and they all get a language that now everyone understands. Now, in verse seven, it says this. We uh, in verse seven, it says, "Come," and this is a picture of the Trinity here. In case you're ever looking for Father, Son, Holy Spirit in Scripture, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. So, down from heaven, the people are scattered. They're now not speaking the same language. And then we get to Pentecost, thousands of years later. We get to Pentecost, and here's what happens. Suddenly, there comes a sound from heaven as a rushing, mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So they had all come together. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then, this is what happens. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from where? from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. They didn't scatter to the nations. They came together and they were confused, not because they couldn't understand each other's language, but because now everyone heard them speak in his own language. That this occurrence took place where there was this supernatural language that now everyone understood. It would be impossible for them to be speaking the native languages of each of the nations. No, they were speaking some other unknown tongue that everyone could hear as their own language. So I'm going to move from that story, and I want to talk about 
the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. I believe personally, uh, and I think it's important for you to know that I believe this, it's also important for you to know that there are uh, people here that are a part of our church that uh, maybe think differently about this. Um, there are certainly other denominations and non-denominational churches that uh, don't agree with us in this. And so we have a choice. We don't talk about it ever, and we just kind of you know, keep it to ourselves and, and uh, hold it close to our chest, or we talk about it openly and acknowledge that there are people who are on two completely different sides of the spectrum. There are some people who are all the way over here, and they, and they talk about it so much as to put the gift of tongues on a pedestal, and then there's people over here who would say that not only is the gift of speaking in tongues not for today, none of the gifts are for today. That those stopped being available to us back when the disciples and the apostles died. So somewhere in between there, there should be a safe place for us as a church to have a conversation about something that is clearly in Scripture and clearly addressed as an opportunity for us to experience. So I believe that the gifts are still available for us today. I do believe that those gifts come through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's salvation. Let every one of us who are here this morning repent and let every one of us be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. Let us be a people who first and foremost experience salvation in Jesus Christ. And then it goes on and says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about this, but I just want to remind all of us who are here this morning, and if you're watching with us online, that at the point of salvation, when you repent of your sins, and there is uh, a, the, the baptism of Jesus Christ in your life for your remission of sins, this is what happens. You receive the Holy Spirit. You don't receive a partial part of the Holy Spirit. So there's been lots of questions over the last few weeks and even this morning in first service was, well, uh, how do we receive all of the Holy Spirit? At the point of salvation, you receive all of the Holy Spirit. You don't get 70% of him. You don't get 40% or 60%. You don't get 90% of him. You get all of the Holy Spirit. What we're talking about in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit gets all of you. And, and Pastor Jay shared that in first service, and I thought it was a perfect way to say it. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that the gifts, specifically the nine gifts that we're talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, are not available for all believers. Dr. Craig Keener said this, he said, most of the global church recognizes that God uh, recognizes that the God who poured out the spirit on the day of Pentecost did not pour the spirit back afterwards meaning that when the spirit of God was poured out on all people and made available to all of us it wasn't like there was a season of time and then now it was like okay holy spirit go back 
You've been recalled. It doesn't say that. And in fact, 24 years after Pentecost in Acts chapter 19, what we find is uh, a, a situation where people are not even, hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit are being baptized. It says this in verse 2 of chapter 19, and finding some disciples, and again, 24 years later, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we haven't even heard whether there's a Holy Spirit. And, and maybe that's some of us this morning here in the room or watching online. Maybe you've grown up, as we talked about last week, in a different denominational background or a different church environment where the Holy Spirit wasn't even really talked about much. We, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And he says to them, into what then were you baptized? And so they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, so salvation, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So there's a a salvation experience. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So these 12 guys, they're like, we're saved. We've got the seal of Holy Spirit of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians talks about, the seal of salvation. I think it's uh, Ephesians 1:13 says that they're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, but then Paul lays hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. What do we do with this? Because it's there. So what exactly is available to us here? And why is it important? Why is it that we need it today? Well, let's take a look. I want us to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. We're not going to read all of the chapters, but I've pulled some verses out there that I specifically want to address today. Starting in uh, verse 10 of chapter 12, it says, uh, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. I want to make an argument that there are uh, two different references uh, to the gift of speaking in tongues. Uh, And that's hard for us to fully understand and grab hold of, but I want to make uh, a distinction between a, a gift of speaking in tongues as a prayer language, as something that is a communication between us and God through the Spirit. Uh, Sometimes you'll hear this as referred to as praying in the Spirit, uh, where our soul or spirit is praying to the Father uh, in a language that we don't understand. And then the gift of speaking in tongues that is a public use that would be used in a community forum like this that is with the intent 
to be a prophetic word. And that gift has to be interpreted as we're going to find out. The distinction between these two is the one that is uh, a, a prayer gift is for your own edification. It's, it's for my edification. It's, it's for me and between me and the Father through the Holy Spirit. The gift of the prophetic use of a different tongue is actually for the unbeliever. And we're going to talk about that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. I find it very interesting, and I think this is often overlooked, is that right in smack in the middle between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, where it talks about the spiritual gifts, right in the middle is the wedding chapter. Right? It's 1 Corinthians 13, where we hear at every single wedding we've ever attended in the history of our life. Like, if you've, never, if you've been to a wedding and not heard any form of 1 Corinthians 13, I'd be shocked by that. Uh, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. We use the scripture in that context. And, and I think what's lost on us, if we're not careful, is that it really, it's not really talking necessarily about the, that kind of love. Like between a husband and a wife, it's really talking about the love that we have in this world that we are a part of towards other people. And it's interesting because it's addressing the gifts, and, and here's why. Because really, since the beginning of the Corinthian church till even today, there are people who, who use the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the terminology of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and specific gifts to hold over other people, to, to use them in such a way that it implies that maybe they are a better Christian if you don't operate in those gifts. And that somehow, you know, if I operate in the gift of knowledge or wisdom or speaking in tongues, that, that man, uh, I really wish you guys would come along and, and, and be as good of a Christian as me. It's dangerous. And, and honestly, it's not just dangerous, it's theologically incorrect, and it is uh, sin. It's pride. So let's just call it what it is. It's pride. And so what Paul is addressing is that very thing. He's saying, even though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, if I don't have love towards people who maybe think differently than me or, or operate different than me, if, if I don't have love towards them, it doesn't matter how much I speak in tongues. It doesn't matter how many prophetic words I give or words of wisdom or knowledge. I just sound like a clanging cymbal. And if I would have thought through it, I would have had Jesse hit, the, hit that sucker. Like, you know, and it's just, it's obnoxious. It's annoying. And if you've ever met people like that who are so in your face and so unloving and so judging, they are annoying. They're annoying. 
and obnoxious, and you don't want anything to do with them. So it doesn't matter what the gift is. If you don't have love, it profits you nothing. And then he goes into 1 Corinthians chapter 14. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. That's addressing that prayer language, that, that prayer gift of tongues. And it says, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now, here's oftentimes what happens in, uh, in American churches specifically, is we will be in situations or, or there will be people in situations where maybe in a worship service like this, uh, there might be someone who is uh, exercising their prayer language and uh, using that, not super obnoxiously loud or anything, but just kind of right there at their seat during worship or during the transition time and there's prayer and they, they, they might be uh, praying in their prayer language, their a different tongue. And sometimes what happens is there will be people around them that will hear it and they'll get offended by it. They'll get offended because nobody's interpreting that. And you got to have an interpretation of that in order for it to be heard by other people. And I would just caution us in that. Like, here's the thing. There, that prayer language is not the prophetic use of the prayer language to the whole body that needs to be interpreted. Right, So it doesn't need an interpretation. That's between them and God. Here's where it gets dangerous. Is when you are in a corporate environment like this and you are exercising your prayer language and you're speaking in tongues, but now you're speaking loudly for other people to hear. It's no different than making sure that everybody in the room can see you put your, your money into the offering basket. It's, it's no different than drawing attention to yourself and taking the attention from God. And if you've ever been in an environment where there's all of a sudden it gets quiet, and it's always at the same time during the worship, you know, the, the instruments come down, and that's when the Holy, the Holy Spirit can only move when the instruments come down. And, and that's when a word is given. And I'm not saying that's always a bad thing, and I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit didn't move in that moment, but it's odd that he always moves in that time. So if you've ever been there, and all of a sudden there's kind of this sense, I mean, as Pastor Jay was coming and doing the transition, he was like, man, there's just this sweet spirit in the room. And, and if somebody would have just from the back of the room just yelled out, Jesus! Immediately, it would have taken all of our attention off of the sweet moment of the Holy Spirit between us and the Lord, and it would everybody's head just would have gone right to that person. And I just would ask the question, how is it ever okay for us to draw attention to ourselves and take other people's attention off of God? I don't ever want to be in an environment where I am guilty of distracting people from the presence of God in their life. It doesn't mean, however, that there's not moments 
where there is a prophetic word given. It doesn't mean that we, we, we have to hide the gifts in some way so that other people who might hear them are offended by them. No, no. That, that's, that's not fair. Paul goes on in, uh, in verse 2 of chapter 14. He says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mystery. And then in verse 14 he says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. But my understanding is unfruitful. I, I don't understand the words that I'm praying. And you're like, well, that seems a little dangerous. Well, if you're doing incantations and demonic chants, yeah, that is. But if this is from the Holy Spirit, if this is of God, then it's not. You're not checking your brain at the door. In fact, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues can now be used at any moment that you need it to be used. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I'm going to pray in the Spirit, but I'm also going to pray in English. It doesn't take away uh, our need to be praying in the known, in, in, in a language that is known. But it does address that I'm going to continue to pray in a language that is not known. But he goes on and says, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Which sounds like a little prideful, honestly. It's like, okay, Paul, we get it. Like, you speak in tongues a lot. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So now we come back to this corporate setting. And what Paul is saying and addressing here is, I would rather give a message that's five words long that you can understand and point you into the direction of God than 10,000 words in a, in a language you don't understand, in a tongue, that only edifies me. If anyone speaks in a tongue, and now he's addressing this gift of a prophetic tongue, if anyone speaks in a tongue, in verse 27, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn. He's obviously addressing some chaos, uh, I was going to say chaotic, chaos in the, the Corinthian church. Because if he's saying, listen, uh, there's, it's only two or three at the most, implying that there were, prior to this instruction, a lot more of those. That, that everybody was giving a prophetic word in tongues. It's like, listen, we got to get on with the service. It's great that you guys got the gift, uh, but let's limit it to two or three. We want to get to lunch. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. So now he's addressing prophecy in church, and, and that would be the prophetic in a language that people would understand. Uh, or that people would understand, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. So when you're talking in small groups with other people, like you can, it's okay to, to exercise the prophetic gift, but, but in the context of a corporate gathering like this, let's limit the amount. Now, 
this isn't an issue in our church. Like, when was the last church service you were in where we're like, whoa, everybody, back off. Like, we've had three. Uh, We've not had three prophetic words in English, let alone three prophetic words in an unknown tongue in the 15 years that I've been here. And my question is, is not, and that's how it should be, and my statement is not, that's how it should be. My question is, why not? What's keeping us from that? What is it that is concerning to us? Is it because we don't want to step out of line here? Is it because, well, it says that there must be somebody to interpret it. What if I get a word in tongues and there's no one to interpret it? Well, if the Holy Spirit has given you a word in tongues, a prophetic word in tongues that's for the entire congregation, don't you think that he'll take care of the interpretation of it? That's his job, not ours. Sometimes he gives the interpretation to the person. All of that to say there is a process, that there is an order, and this is a man-made order for sure, although it's based upon Paul's instruction to the Corinthian church, and that would be that if you had a prophetic word, which we have had prophetic words given in our service in English, if you had a prophetic word, uh, our ask of you is that you would go to uh, someone who's wearing a prayer lanyard, a prayer, prayer tag, or you would come to me. I'm always sitting on the front row unless I'm preaching. If you get a prophetic word in the midst of the service, I'd ask that you hold that, uh, and, and then we would get that, or you could text in the number and say, I, I think I have a word for the church. Uh, you could share that with us there, and then I, I could call you up. Uh, but here's why, is if it's from the Lord, if you get a prophetic word from the Holy Spirit in English or in tongues, we want to hear it, right? What we don't want is there to be a lot of music going on and somebody from the back of the room screaming out, trying to get the the Holy Spirit's voice heard. What we've done in the past, and and I'll just use my mom as an example. My mom's had a prophetic word. Actually, Monica Derezio's had a prophetic word for our church before, and and she's come up to the front during, uh, during worship and just said, I just sense that the Lord is saying something to us as a church. And so what we'll do is we'll grab a microphone, we'll stand up on stage, hand her the microphone. She'll be able to share the prophetic word. And then we just say, hey, does that resonate with you? And if it's crickets and no, and I'm like, hey, raise your hand if like that, if, if you needed to hear that this morning, is that from the Lord for you? And if no one raises their hand, as uncomfortable as it is, as the pastor of my mom, I'd have to say, sorry, mom, I think that was for you. And you're like, well, that's awkward. Yeah, but it's right. It's true. So, so you, have to, you have to weigh that. And here's where it gets really complicated and tricky. And there will be people who disagree with me on this. In fact, I've had people disagree with me on this. Why would we treat a prophetic word in English different than we would treat a prophetic word in tongues? It's kind of a rhetorical question, but if you have a reason, I'd like to hear it. You could text it in. But, But I can't see a reason why we would treat them differently. They're both prophetic words. So what we would ask is if you had a prophetic word in tongues, you would go through the same process. 
And what happened is one time uh, we kind of instituted this. I had somebody who um, in the midst of service kind of shared out a prophetic, uh, what they felt was a prophetic word in tongues. Uh, it happened one time I got up, uh, explained to the congregation what was happening here because it happened in, in the back and during the low time in music when the Holy Spirit moves. And, and, and I said, did anybody have an interpretation of that? And, and honestly, it was really quiet for the longest time. And, and then someone kind of spoke something out. And this is just my personal opinion. It's probably a little judgmental, and, and so I want to be careful careful of it, but I kind of feel like they bailed him out. They're they're sitting right next to him. And and I'm just not sure that that was a a prophetic word in tongues for the entire church. So I I addressed it with them. I said, listen, if this is something, a gift that that you operate in and you have a prophetic word in tongues for the church, I just ask that you go to one of the elders of the church or one of the pastors. You go to Pastor Jay or myself and uh, and come find us and give us a word. And if we know of people who typically operate in the gift of interpretation, we can, you know, call on them. Or if we don't, uh, if there is no one to interpret, we could present the word and say, hey, does anybody have the interpretation of that? But we would bring them back up. Here was their problem. They're like, well, if I get a word in tongues, I can't remember what that is. If I get a prophetic word in tongues, how am I supposed to remember what that is if I have to wait before I talk to somebody and then, and then come up front? How am I going to remember the words? I'm like, well, could you do that in English? Yes. And then you can do it in tongues. If it's from the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you that word, whether it's in the moment or at an appropriate time when we can hear. Everyone can hear it. And they're like, well, I just think that's too restrictive and you're putting the Holy Spirit in a box. I'm like, actually, I think you might be putting the Holy Spirit in a box. So we ask that we go through the same process because if this is from the Holy Spirit, we want to hear it. We do. It may be uncomfortable, it may be awkward, but we want to hear it. It's gotten quiet. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most. Let two or three prophets speak. And it goes on in verse 31. For you, all, uh, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. So let's talk about why these gifts are important. The first one, which is a, a part of our prayer life, personal prayer between our soul and God that benefits me. It's important because, and this is probably the most important reason, it's a means by which every believer builds himself up in preparation for ministry to other people. I'll give you another uh, personal example. There are many times where I will go into uh, an appointment with a couple. Uh, My wife and I will be there, and I've used this as an example before, where... um, you know, we're dealing with uh, adultery or we're dealing with addiction. And my wife will be like, what are you going to say to them? And I'm like, I have no idea. I got nothing. And so in that moment, we'll just take, a time, we'll take time and we'll pray in the spirit. Because if I don't have the words, I'm counting on him to have the words. 
And so I will pray in the spirit. We'll go into the conversation. And I can't explain it other than to tell you that there are all of a sudden these really smart words, words of knowledge. There's these really um, uh, discerning thoughts, the gift of discernment. There's these words of wisdom that are given to them, not because of how smart I am. And she would be like, my wife would be like, where did all that come from? I know you're not that smart. And it would be from the Holy Spirit. Because as we've said, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit don't make me better than you. They make me better than me. It makes me better than what I could do in the natural. It gives us this beautiful tool as we go into our life circle. We talk a lot about ministering in our life circle. And there are just things that your friends, your coworker, your family are faced with that go beyond anything that you could solve for in the natural. And so you, you take time and you pray in the supernatural to have words of wisdom and discernment and the gift of knowledge. Praying in tongues is valuable because it enables me to communicate beyond the limits of my natural mind. And then the prophetic utterance, the, the public use with interpretation, that benefits the unbeliever. Uh, I want to read this to you. I heard it said like this. The unbeliever comes into the church, hears someone speak a message in tongues. He immediately knows something unusual is going on. Right? And you're like, yeah, how could that be for the unbeliever? If I'm the unbeliever, I'm running out of the room. And yet, clearly in Scripture, we see that when the unbeliever hears it, he knows something unusual is going on. It gets his attention or her attention, and hopefully they will listen closely to the interpretation of that tongue. There are also times when a believer will give a message in tongues that he does not understand, yet it is in the language of another person who knows the tongue being spoken. That becomes a sign that something supernatural is going on. It happened in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 6. And it's more precisely what 1 Corinthians 14.22 is referring to. And in this chapter, Paul is just simply teaching these believers how to properly exercise the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. It's also voluntary. In verse 32 and 33 of 1 Corinthians, it says, The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. When someone tells me that they couldn't control it, and that they just, it was like they were possessed by the Holy Spirit. Just so you know, the Holy Spirit, it's not like this possession where he takes control over us. Like, that's a different gift that we cast out of other people. The, I'm talking about this passage of scripture when someone says, well, I can't control when the music's down, the spirit's there, and I got to just blurt it out. And I say, no, you don't, because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. All right, enough of that. Two things, well, more than two, probably three things that really are deterring factors for us in this gift. Pride and peer pressure. 
Not peer pressure to function in the gifts, actually the opposite. Peer pressure that says, what are people going to think of me? Tim Keller calls pride the carbon monoxide of sin. It silently and slowly kills you without you even knowing. And I would argue, as others would, that pride can also keep you from the gifts. Can keep you from the gifts. There are some who will make the statement that say, the gifts just seem weird. And interestingly, people are more accepting of the casting out of the demonic than they are with speaking in tongues. It's weird, right? That's weird. It's, it's, it's interesting to me that people will be okay with eight of the gifts or seven of the gifts, but, but the one that they're unsure of or the one that they're like hold at arm's length is this one that could be the most life-changing. Why is that? See, I believe that the enemy has done a successful job in, in making this gift in particular weird for us. Because as we see, as we've seen, when there's unity and when there's a pure language, when there's a language that uh, is that everyone is speaking, not that everyone's speaking in tongues or prayer language sounds the same, but when we're in that pure language, it transformed the world at Pentecost. It continued, the first church continued to transform the world. And guess what? They were operating in this gift. So so my question is, is what would happen if we actually stopped keeping the gifts at arm's length and we began to be open and available to the gifts in our life? What kind of transformation could take place in the world that we are a part of? When people say the gift, the gifts seem weird, typically they're talking about one or two gifts, the public prophetic use of tongues and the private use of tongues. Translation, they're not acceptable, they're not cool in our society, which is dominated by peer pressure, created in large part by our culture. But Jesus himself said that we would be persecuted for our beliefs. Operating on a supernatural level means that which is not natural or operating according to the laws of nature. So yes, speaking in tongues, having a spirit uh, prayer language is different. But I'm not sure I would use the word weird. Weird is too subjective. What's weird to you is not weird to me. I was praying for somebody uh, after first service, and she said, just so you know, I'm not scared of this. This isn't weird to me. Uh, okay. It's a little weird to me, but I'm glad it's not weird to you. The other thing that we ask is, what would people think? And oftentimes we see this even in our own marriage. Like, what is our spouse going to think? And I would just make an argument that that, that question is really rooted in pride. That in a world full of peer pressure, which is real, by the way, it takes courage to follow up that question, the question, what would other people think, with the following question, what would God think? See, fear of man versus the fear of God. 
And then as I started in the beginning of the message, there is just this ignorance that people just don't know about it because we're too afraid to talk about it. There will be some who believe that the gifts aren't for today. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, this is where they get their verse. They say, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Could I just remind you that that passage of Scripture, the focus of that is on love. And it's not that the gifts are actually stopping as much as they don't. You, when you get to heaven, you don't need those gifts. Those gifts are for here. Therefore, our every day. So how do I receive the gifts? You receive the gifts through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jerry Stott, in his book, gives very uh, succinct uh, bullet points to this. The first is be in a position of hunger for the things of God. Listen, if you're not hungry for the things of God, you're not going to get the things of God. It's just not. And I wonder how often we go through our life and through seasons of our life where where we're just we're going through the motions. We're going to church and we're, you know, we're serving and stuff, but but we're just not hungry for the things of God. We don't hunger and thirst for for being people who are living their life on mission. And listen, if you have no desire to live your life on mission outside these walls, there's no need for the gifts in your life. Because you don't need to operate the gifts among believers here. We need them out there. Be in a position to receive from the word of God. All of what we're talking about should be weighed by the scriptures. If you, if it, is contrary to what Scripture has to say. It is not of the Spirit. If somebody comes to you and gives you a, a prophetic word and says, you know, I, I feel like the Lord's saying this to you, and then it's some weird thing, and you go to Scripture, and you're like, that's not what Scripture says. You can throw that as far as you can get rid of it because it's not from the Lord. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, it's not from the Holy Spirit. Be in a position to serve God. As I said, if, if, if we want the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're not just for us to collect as badges of honor. They're to be used and in, on mission in our life circle. They're to be used in the world that, that we serve him by utilizing the gifts through us. To be in a position of praise. To be in a position of prayer. To be in a position of asking when was the last time you asked for the gifts of the Holy Spirit? That you were encountering a time and you're like, Holy Spirit, I need a word of wisdom. And then be in a position of waiting. What we see on Pentecost is they were in a position of waiting. Here's why I think most of us, though, struggle with functioning in the gifts of the Holy Spirit we struggle with the idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it's this statement right here. I think most of us are uncomfortable saying, I am gifted by God. I have the gifts of the Holy Spirit ready to flow out of me. I think we're afraid to say that. And we're afraid to say it because of our own insecurities. We're afraid to say it because 
uh, we, we don't feel qualified, can I just encourage you that you are not qualified <laughs> except through the grace of a heavenly father who wants to bestow good gifts on his children. It's not for our sake. It's not for anything that we can do. It is for the benefit of the kingdom of God. And it's because of our saving grace, our salvation. It's because of our repentance. It's because of what Christ did on the cross. We can say, I am gifted by God. I have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they are ready to flow through me. Show me the way. There's a pastor in Houston who uh, was responsible for uh, my installation here at this church 15 years ago. He says it like this. His name is Tony. He says, are you desperate for more of God? Because those who are desperate to receive a touch from God actually receive a touch from God. And those that are not desperate will often find fault with those that he touches. If we find ourselves critical of those who, who are desiring the more, a touch from the Holy Spirit, or desiring the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if we find ourselves critical of those people, maybe we should ask our, ourselves why. Why are we critical? Why are we so judgmental of that? Maybe we do a little inward, think, uh, inward reflection and say, you know what, maybe I'm the one that's got the pride. Maybe I'm the one that's catering to the fear and the peer pressure. Because my hope is that God would have all of us. And that's making ourselves available to the gifts as well. If you, will have more informa- if you want more information, I highly recommend this. Positioned for the gifts, it goes into way more depth than I could in 30 minutes, 35 minutes. All right, questions. We have a couple questions here. I'm going to invite Jay to come up. Pastor Jay is going to come up, and, uh, and we're not going to have a last song. Uh, we will receive our, our offering in a moment, but... Um, Oh, yeah, we got questions. Here we go. Yeah, that's good. No, no, I'm, I'm just kind of filtering through real quick. Um, and some are showing up and some are not. Okay, uh, one question is, uh, and I think that we addressed this maybe in a previous Sunday, but um, I'll let you address it, Jay. Uh, The question is, can you lose your salvation? So can you, uh, I know that's not necessarily directly related to uh, the spiritual gift of tongues or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it's a question nonetheless, and I think it's an important one. Can you get saved, be baptized, and then... I'm curious how you're going to answer this. Okay. Well, I'm, and I'm not being sarcastic in this, so <laughs> I don't know if you're in the room or if you're online, but when we talk about losing our salvation, it's, again, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic. It's not like, like losing a set of keys, okay? Like, you know, you lose your keys. But, but I know that's a common phrase that, that is used, losing your salvation. 
Um, so you have to go back to how do you get salvation? Uh, I believe the question I'd read it, I think it had to do with some behavior things. You know, if you're, if you're not behaving properly, if there's some sin in yeah. your life. And then continues to live a sinful lifestyle. Yeah, a sinful lifestyle. So how do you get saved? Do you get saved by your behavior or do you get saved by your belief? You get saved because of your belief in Jesus Christ. That's how you get saved. And so the only way that you, so you don't lose your salvation. The only way you could reject your salvation, the only way you could walk away from your salvation is to choose to not believe in him anymore. Um, now, there's nuances to that where a person say, well, if their behavior never changed, were they ever saved in the first place? Well, I don't, I don't know the answer to each person's personal condition with them in Christ. That's, that's between them and Christ. Obviously, if you have given your life to Christ, there will be behavioral change. There's fruit that is evidenced of that. So, yes, if you're in Christ, there will be a, there will be a change. Um, uh, but there are people that live in fear of, oh, if I sin and I'm in a car wreck, I'm going to die and I'm going to go to hell. That's, 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 that's not a, that's, that would not be a reasonable fear because uh, all of our sin has been paid for. Christ paid for it on the cross. Every sin that we have committed, every sin that we, I'll commit today, and any sin I'll commit in the future, it's already been forgiven in Christ Jesus. Now, we do ask forgiveness. We do walk in that forgiveness. So, um, and he holds us um, very, I mean, our sal- God's ability to hang on to us is greater than our ability to hang on to God. And so our salvation, he secures that. He seals that. It, he's the one that holds us firmly, us not holding on to him. So we can rest in him in that. Now, there is questions of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit of, well, is there a sin that you commit where you could lose your salvation? Is there, if you blaspheme, you know, what does that mean in Scripture? And so there is a point, and we believe there's a point, that you can, that you can continually harden your heart against God to such a way that the inability for him to convict you of sin would would not be there. You just he continually convicts you. You harden your heart. You harden your heart. You harden your heart. You harden your heart, and you become, your heart becomes so callous that you're not even open to the work of the Holy Spirit. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and you've actually you've walked away. And can I just say this? If you're afraid of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, then you haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit because you wouldn't be worried about it. Yeah, and so. Yeah, that's right. Is that, yeah, that's, that that's that great. Question? Yeah, uh, you, you use the car wreck analogy. I always use, like, if I was uh, playing baseball and I hit a home run. Well, that wouldn't happen. And, and well, that's probably true. Uh, <laughs> wiffle ball. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I'm running around the bases, and, the, and pride just is welling up within me, and then I have a heart attack and die. It's, it's not an unforgivable uh, sin. Yeah. You know, it's not, I don't go, I'm not damned to hell because of that. Um, yeah, that you actually answered their second question, which was, uh, will the Holy Spirit leave a person if they're convicted multiple times of a certain sin in their life, but the person chooses to continue to do it anyway? I think I'd that's say the you would leave the Holy Spirit. He yeah. Wouldn't leave. Yeah, you would yeah, reject that's him. That's right. Um, in Romans uh, 8.26, it says that when we uh, don't know what to pray for, uh, this actually came first service too, or maybe how to pray. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Uh, I've experienced that, that 
this in a session of suff- in a season of suffering when all I can do is just cry out to God, but there are no actual words associated with it. Is this a form of tongues or just an interaction with the Holy Spirit? I would say according to classical Pentecostal theology, that would be a form of speaking in tongues. That would be that. And I've I've wondered the same thing about that verse. Like I, I think that's a fantastic question. I've wondered, I've had those same thoughts. Um, I don't know if it matters because, and because I'm not I'm not trying to say it's not important. I'm just trying to say there's actually serious spiritual business going on when you're doing that, and you're there's so much agony or grief or, or I I do believe there is a spiritual encounter and spiritual transactioning happening during that moment, but I can't say that I fully understand it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I think it, um, it is. Uh, just because it's not vocalized through your vocal cords doesn't mean it's the, it's not the same spirit groaning on your behalf. Uh, I've once heard that when you pray in tongues, the enemy can't hear your prayers. Is that true? That's a great question. Yeah, it is a good question. So um, we're I told... A, I have a thought too. Um, yeah, but you want to go first? No, you go. <laughs> so there's not one verse that would say... That if you speak in tongues, enemy, the devil, demons, we get the whole, I mean, we get the whole thing of devils and demons. There's only one devil. He's not omnipresent like Jesus is. So there's one devil and, and there's, I don't know how thousands and thousands, I don't know how many Legions. demons yeah. that work in conjunction with him. They're the fallen angels. So, um, so what we're, most of us are probably dealing with, I would say probably are demons, not the devil. I hope that makes sense. It did but could a demon then um, understand? Because the devil is, is not omnipresent. So would a demon be able to understand? I know this. It says that when we pray in tongues, we pray to God and not to man. So what that verse tells me is that when we pray in tongues, we're praying to God. It doesn't say we're praying to the devil. It doesn't say that we're anything else. We know there's mysteries that the devil doesn't understand. We know that there's things that are withheld from him. So I, although there's not one verse that would say it, I would be inclined to say that when we pray in tongues, it's the most pure form of prayer. It's the Holy Spirit praying in us and through us. And I don't think that any demon is able to eavesdrop on that. That's my perspective. And my perspective on that would be um, that our, our prayer language of speaking in tongues is uh, a form of spiritual warfare that when we find ourselves in situations of um, demonic oppression or we find ourselves in, in environments that uh, we don't have in the natural words to speak, um, we can pray in our prayer language in tongues knowing that the Holy Spirit uh, knows how to deal with that. Uh, I don't have a lot of um, scriptural backing, backing of that, uh, I have my own personal uh, stories of times in which I've been in scenarios where um, I just I, I I was not sure how to handle it. I do know that the demonic uh, hears our prayers, our, our regular prayers, because in the gift of casting out, um, coming against the enemy, speaking against the enemy. Um, casting the enemy out of, I mean, I've been in scenarios where um, there's been a demonic presence in a building, in a room, 
and had that demonic presence cast out in the name of Jesus, that uh, whether they understand our language, they definitely understand the name of Jesus. That I know. So I don't know if that helps your your answer much. But uh, again, uh, kind of a, a very similar question. Regarding tongues as a personal prayer language, why would the Spirit or myself uh, use words that I don't understand rather than the language that I do understand to edify? How does something I don't understand edify? If it's personal communication between myself and God without third-party interpretation, how does that circle of not understanding get closed? And to put it bluntly, what's the point? Uh, If it's a matter of groanings that cannot be expressed in words, I interpret that as an emotional expression and communication with God, which for me at least happens internally. Why is uh, verbalization of any kind necessary as part of the communication process of an inexpressible thoughts or feelings? Long question. Can I go for it? Yeah, please. Okay. So I would respond to that question. Really good question. Long, hard question, but good question. So I have a couple of responses to that question. Um, and again, I don't, know, I don't know who asked that question, whether in the room or online. So I, I don't know. Uh, so I just, so I, I give this answer from my perspective respectfully. Um, and I would say there's two, there's, there's two answers to it. One is that in the book of Jude, Jude tells us, and there's only one, there's not even really a chapter in that book because it's just, there's, it's not divided. So in Jude, I, one of the verses, I don't know if it's eight, or no, I think it's, I think it may be 20, 28. It's in Jude. But it says, build up yourself in, the most, in your most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. And so we know that it builds us up in our spirit because the Bible tells us that in the book of Jude. And so that's enough. That if the Bible tells us that, that we believe it's true, that Jude tells us, and it's canonized scripture, that if you pray in the Spirit, and this is what we're referring to in praying in other tongues, you pray in the Spirit that it builds you up in your most holy faith. So we believe that it would do that, even though we may not understand how, because the Bible tells us that, and we receive that on faith. And I could say also I've experienced that personally, so I can attest to that, personally speaking. The other thing I would say is, again, I say this very respectfully to this person who's asked this question, but this question is somewhat biased or skewed insofar as it is determined that your relationship with God is an is a natural relationship based on your intellect and based on your human under understanding. It's, it's, it's kind of a naturalistic or a, a humanistic, I don't mean that in a bad way, but a humanistic approach to your relationship with God. And so um, we have, uh, there's places in Scripture that refer to you, your, your spirit man or your, you know, we call our, our spirit. And so there is a dynamic of our relationship with God that is, supersedes and goes beyond even our mind. And that's our spirit that is born again. And so that's how we commune with God. That's how we grow in our relationship with God. It is through our spirit that this happens. And so not everything is going to happen according to a naturalistic or a humanistic or a logical expression to that. And so it, it kind of ha- it's, it's a different approach to to that, so maybe you have a different thought. Oh, or I think that's great on that at all. So um, we're getting, we, can't, we just can't figure God out with our mind. We yeah. cannot limit Him to our mind. We're we're creeping into the Corinth church here, where it's like, okay, two or three people, two or three. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, 
You know, you talk about that. I think when you were talking about that, especially first service, I was thinking you were explaining only two or three. I thought, have you ever been at a dinner table and you're and everybody's just talking all over everybody and you can't hear what anybody's saying because everybody's talking. And finally somebody say, whoa, 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 can we just go one at a time here so we can all be a part of this? I think that's what Paul's doing in Corinth. Uh, there was uh, one comment that was made uh, in regard to using the spiritual gifts or utilizing the spiritual gifts in the home uh, based upon a reference that I made uh, on mission out in the world. Uh, in any scenario in which I'm referencing outside these walls, I'm really referring to our life circle. And church is just one part of our life circle. Our home is a part of our life circle, our workplace, our school or our kids' school our communities. Uh, so it, yes, most definitely. And honestly, some of what we are seeing in our culture, if we would begin taking the spiritual authority and responsibility in our homes to utilize the spiritual gifts in our homes, uh, I think it would begin to curb, uh, curb the issues that we are now seeing in the next generations. Um, that's just uh, that's my soapbox. Um, all right. So uh, oh, man. Uh, in the beginning of the message, we talked about the tower and how God divided their language and scattered their people into confusion. But then we talked about how God is not the author of confusion. I just want to hear your thoughts on that, quote, unquote, supposed contradiction. I'm going to let Jay answer that one. You preached it. <laughs> Can you read the question again? Yeah, so essentially uh, in the Tower of Babel, um, uh, the Trinity came and scattered the people yeah. and, uh, and then brought, you know, supposed confusion based yeah. upon now all speaking a different language. But yeah. then God is not a God of confusion, but a God of order. Yeah, so. I would say those are two different things um, because what he was doing was bringing judgment, basically. He was bringing judgment. That's what they, you know, they were reaping what they had sowed. And so it was a, it was a judgment. It was a I guess I would say a form of punishment. It was a, it was a strategy. And uh, so I would say it's not really apples to apples. Yeah. So you may have a different perspective. No, that, I would say the same thing. Just, I, but I would also say that, that there was a, a, a restorative work, although well, we still are functioning within that judgment I, in the I, sense that there's hundreds of languages. And I would say, let me add to that of what I previously said, that God's not the author of confusion, and it was obvious that God is not, like, a part of all the chaos and nuts, just bad stuff that's come out of all of that, you know, everybody being separate. I mean, that was, that's not, that wasn't God's best. That was a broken, fallen planet. He's, God's not. The it's not what he intended. God of confusion. Yeah, and so the, all that confusion that was going on, that's not what God wanted or intended. I mean, it was the consequences of it, but it wasn't his heart for us. All right. Um, they still coming in? Yeah, the, I think now we're just getting thank yous for answering <laughs> okay, the question. So, like, wow. Um, uh, I'm going to pray great. for us. We're uh, over time. Our, our, ki- our teachers are with our kids. Uh, I want us to do two things. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to pray. I'm going to have the ushers come.